All right, hey, hey, look at that, what a uh, way to transition. Uh, A clock, time. (laughs) When Timex, the watch company, asked people how long they would wait before taking action, they discovered the following. In other words, in different situations, how long will you wait before you feel like, man, I'm going to do something? I'm going to do something. (laughs) They found 13 seconds before we honk at a car in front of us that stopped at a green light. That's probably actually longer than the most of you would wait. Let's go ahead. I'm going to count off 13 seconds. I may have to get my readers out here. 13 seconds. You ready? That's only five seconds. That is 10. So the most of us probably wouldn't come anywhere near waiting 13 seconds before we'd start to honk. Especially, I I said, yeah, that's 13 seconds maybe there. Especially if the person in front of us who's not moving is looking at their phone. Wouldn't that just grate you? Oh, it's like, come on. (laughs) Our 26 seconds before we shush people who are talking in a movie theater, 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant. All right, how long will you wait? I said this before. So what I say here, so much I said in the earlier service. So it's like I said this before just recently. But Diana and I went to Bonefish Grill in Tanger Outlet, and we had a great meal with Mitch and Donna Goldenberg. We both got the almond-crusted trout, didn't we? But when we got to the restaurant, there was a Joyce Myers conference at the Coliseum. Sold out. Just blew my mind. They sold out the Coliseum. So it was pretty busy. And when we got there, they said, 45 minutes. Who waits 45 minutes? Anybody here, would you wait 45 minutes? And like, no way. Let's go, let's go someplace else. But we talked about it, and Mitch went back in, worked his magic, I guess, and, and they seated us rather quickly. I actually end up, I think, what happened, all these people were at this conference, and so they kind of left in mass, and so all of a sudden, hey, the restaurant's pretty empty. How long will you wait? 20 minutes for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we dig in. I was raised in a home where when the food's on, it's hot, it goes on the table and we eat. Anybody else raised in a home like that? Yeah, and so, boy, sitting around 20 minutes, watching that food just go, watching the mashed potatoes just starting to hard up, right? It's like, like oh, and the, the, the bread getting crusty or dry. No, no, no. I think you're a lot like me. And that you can find waiting a real challenge. In fact, I know you're a lot like me. I can come off here sounding so unspiritual. It's like, man, Pastor Joe, you really have, you need help with patience. And you know what happens when we pray for patience, right? We have more difficulties. So that's how we grow our patience. But waiting. When we ended our study of Acts 1 last Sunday, with the disciples in Jerusalem. And what were they doing there? Waiting. They were waiting. Thank you. Who said that? Thank you very much. Yep. They were waiting as they were commanded by Christ. Remember in chapter 1, he said to them, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for what has been promised. And what had been promised? 
the Holy Spirit, a baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's the word used, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, in our passage today, the waiting ends. Oh, poke your neighbor and say, this is big. This is really big because in our passage today, what had been promised way back in the Old Testament becomes a reality. The Spirit of God is going to be poured out in new ways upon Jesus' disciples. This is big. John Stott, in his commentary, has this to say. He wants to help us understand just how big this is. But he says, without the Holy Spirit... Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, impossible. Those are strong words, aren't they? There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the Holy Spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. Wow, making that emphasis, an emphasis I hope we pick up on as we study our passage. This is important stuff. You poke your neighbor, go ahead and look at him and and say, hey, this is important stuff. You need to pay attention. Uh, The more I ask you to to do these things, probably the less you'll do them. So I need to be careful how often I ask you to poke your neighbor or say something to him. right? Okay, go ahead and take out your notes. Promises fulfilled. Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. If you're new here this morning, we'd like to just work our way through a book of the Bible. That's what I usually do. And we just go passage by passage. And that's what we're doing. This is our third study in the book of Acts. We spent two weeks Acts 1. Now we're in Acts chapter 2. And notice how verse 1 begins. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And so the events of our passage happen on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Jesus' disciples all gathered together in one place. Pentecost was a Jewish feast day. Actually, I think commemorated only one day. Pentecost means 50th. It was called Pentecost because it came 50 days after Passover. Pentecost. That's very practical, easy to keep track of, isn't it? It was also known as the Feast of Harvest because it was a celebration of the grain harvest. So there was this joy as they gathered together in Jerusalem. It was a mandatory feast day for the men in Israel which meant that Jewish men within a 20-mile radius of Jerusalem were required to be at the city for this feast. And so the city would be packed. You're right to think in terms of Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Black Friday, everybody's out shopping. Now, some of you are going to go nod your head and say, not me. I know some of you don't, but a lot of people do. And so the malls are full. Many of them are. The stores are full. The city streets are full. And that would be a good picture for you of Pentecost. Uh, That's Jerusalem. People all over. And so that's the setting. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, 
And it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there were appearing to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so what we have taking place here is what Jesus promised where? Back in Acts chapter 1, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 4, gathering his disciples together, Jesus commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard it from me. For John baptized with the water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so in our passage in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, this promised baptism of the Holy Spirit is taking place. And so the Spirit of God, as promised, is being poured out on Jesus' disciples. And it's happening in astounding ways. Powerful manifestations, right? Yep. A noise like a violent rushing wind. Tongues as of fire distributing themselves. Speaking with other tongues. We're good Bible students and so we ask the question, we ask a lot of questions of the text if we're good Bible students. And we ask the question, why these powerful manifestations? Why all of this taking place? I can think of two reasons. Number one, so that it would be unmistakable what was happening. All right, it isn't like Jesus promised it and about two months later they realized, you know, it happened a month ago. There's no mistaking what's happening here, is there? The Spirit of God is being poured out as promised. So that's one reason for these manifestations. And then all of these things, or at least many of them, are symbolic. We'll talk about that. The wind, the fire, the tongues, Pentecost. All of these things are, are, are symbolic. They carry great meaning. And so we need to discover that, don't we? Right? We're, we're good Bible students here. Let's talk about these manifestations then as, as they come to us. And suddenly... There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Last Sunday, I talked with an old friend of mine. His name is Bill Asbury. He actually was a Campus Crusade staff member at Michigan State when I attended Michigan State way back in the dark age, a long time ago. He wants to try to get together over the holidays. So that's very encouraging. An old friend calls and says, hey, let's get together. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, we had tornadoes here. It was a couple weeks ago, last week, but before that, they had tornadoes. You remember that coming through Texas? I think it was Dallas. And you know what he said? It's what everybody says when tornadoes come through. What do they say? And here's a picture of a tornado. What do they say? What do they say? Sound like a freight train. Don't they? Yeah, that's what they say. It was so loud. And, and that's probably a good image for us to have as to what's taking place with the disciples in Jerusalem. A noise like a violent rushing wind. I ought to have us all kind of blow. I could do it on this mic and really blow us away. This violent rushing wind. In Greek, 
The same word is used for wind and breath and spirit. It's the Greek word pneuma. It's the same way with Hebrew, ruach. And so Jesus' disciples would certainly have made the association. I say it with absolute confidence. They would have certainly made the association of this wind with the Spirit. The violent rushing wind was the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're told coming from heaven. All these details I think are significant. It's coming from heaven. It's coming from God. It's coming as a violent rushing wind. It's coming in power. Right? Come on now. It's coming in power. Wow. It was also at Pentecost tongues. Tongues as a fire distributing themselves, resting on each one of them. Fire would have been associated with God. I think I can confidently say that in the Old Testament, right? The burning bush, Moses and the burning bush, which was on fire, or the pillar of fire that led them in the wilderness, or the fire and smoke at Mount Sinai. And so the tongues as a fire powerfully manifesting God's presence. And and perhaps, and I I don't have this one all figured out, but perhaps symbolizing God's desire to speak through them. There's some sort of symbolism here. They were tongues as a fire, right? So they're tongues. And what are tongues used for? They're used to speak. Finally, notice verse 4. What's the third manifestation? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So tongues, a third manifestation of the Spirit's activity. I need to clarify two ideas. And you do need to poke your neighbor now and say, hey, you really better pay attention because he's going to give us some, some theology here. He's going to plow a little bit deeper. So have you poked your neighbor? Make sure they're paying attention. You've got your pen out. You're going to take notes. But I need to clarify this idea of being baptized with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And both of those ideas are seen in our passage. The term filled is specifically given in verse 4. And though the term baptism doesn't occur in verses 1 through 4, We know from what Jesus said back in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, that it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is taking place, right? That's what he said. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's going to happen. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, first of all, then, what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Now, we've already talked about this because we talked about it in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus talked about this promised baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we really struggle. I don't know why this word baptism, it's kind of hard to grasp. It's actually a transliteration from the Greek into the English. It's the word baptizo, and so baptism. But it simply means to be immersed into. So it can be used in a lot of different contexts. To be immersed into, to be identified with. And so baptism with the Spirit is being immersed into the realm or the activity of the Spirit. That's what it's talking about. One's being immersed into the realm of the Spirit. In one sense, now continue to follow me with this. We need to see Acts 2 as a unique event in salvation history. It's unique. There was the death of Christ... 
There was His resurrection. There was His ascension to the right hand of the Father. All one-time events. And upon His ascension, there is Christ's sending of the promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It is a one-time event. It is unique. With the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, what we have is the formation of the body of Christ. We have the birth of the church. This is a unique time in salvation history. This is a unique time as God is working out His plan of redemption. It's unique. Now, it it impacts us, but there's a sense in which it was unique. And let me add that to be baptized with the Spirit is to be baptized into the body of Christ. There's a sense we have to have. In in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul said, and you can write this down, but 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, with one Spirit have we all been baptized into one body. And so my baptism with the Spirit places me into the body of Christ. And that's what's being formed here at Pentecost, the body of Christ, the church. And so the question becomes, all right, let's take this one step further. The question becomes, how do I get the gift of the Spirit? Because that's what's being talked about, right? That's how it was referenced. Wait in Jerusalem for this baptism of the Spirit, this gift of the Holy Spirit. So how do I get that baptism? I want that gift. Don't you? That's a really good question to be asking, especially in light of all the confusion today. Well, the question is answered by Peter in Acts 2. So we don't have to ask, how do I get this baptism with the Holy Spirit? He tells us. It's interesting, you have these manifestations taking place in Jerusalem at Pentecost, and and boom, everybody's showing up. Did you see? Hey, there's something going down. There's something going on. Right? Isn't that what happened? Y'all are too calm. You almost live too calm lives. We need to see this stuff live. And so Peter says, hey, I'm going to preach. Hey, oh, you got to love him. He steps forward and he preaches, proclaims Christ. And what happens is the the people say, what are we supposed to do with this, Peter? What do we do? What do we do? And notice what Peter says. This is verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? What are we to do? And Peter said to them, this is what you need to do in light of what's happening here. You need to repent. And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is talking about water baptism. All right, I told you, baptism, this immersion can be understood in a lot of different ways. This is water baptism. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what does it say? You too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you, Peter. I wanted to know how I got the gift of the Spirit. He says, well, I just answered that for you. You need to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as seen in baptism. That's how. Well, this is very important because there's a lot of confusion. How do I get the gift of the Spirit? Well, Peter just told us. There's a lot going on at Pentecost, isn't there? Let's talk about the second idea, being filled with the Spirit. Let's connect the dots. Filling is what happens 
once the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in my life. After being baptized with the Spirit, the Spirit's taken up residence in my life. Then the issue becomes, am I filled with the Spirit? Am I filled with the Spirit? Am I living under the influence of the Spirit? Am I walking in the Spirit? In fact, Paul in Galatians 5, that's what he talks about, right? Don't walk in the flesh, but what? Walk in the Spirit. That's what he says in Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Be filled with the Spirit. There is no command in Scripture to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now let's say the New Testament continues on. No command to be baptized. And that's because when you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are baptized. So the command is repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. The commands given are be filled with the Spirit. That's the idea. That's the idea for us as followers of Christ. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I repented of my sins. I put my faith in him. I was baptized and I received the gift of the Spirit. And now the issue for me is, Joel, are you going to day by day say yes to the Spirit in your life? In Acts, the results of the Spirit's filling are primarily seen in empowerment for ministry and in in particular witnessing. In fact, that's what happens in Acts 2.4. It happened a little later on in Acts 2. Or Acts 4. This being filled with the Spirit. And so because of the Spirit's activity, this bold proclamation of the gospel. We're right to connect the Spirit's activity in our lives with witnessing. It'd be far and hard-pressed for you to argue to me, I walk in the fullness of the Spirit, and for me to ask you, will you ever witness of Christ? You say, well, no, I don't. I, I don't get that. There is a connection between the giving of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the Spirit through our lives. But that's maybe another discussion for another time. There's a lot of confusion over the ideas that I just talked about. Let me put up my next slide. Confusion. Over this idea of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the place of tongues? There's a lot of confusion. How many of us have ever heard of the Pentecostal movement? A lot of our hands go up. Most of us, uh, people such as Benny Hinn, Ken Hay, or John Hagee, Kenneth Copeland, Denominations such as the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, Pentecostal Holiness. When I worked as, as a teenager, when I was going through college, I worked with a Pentecostal Holiness church, uh, church pastor. Tom Jones was his name. That's when Tom Jones the singer was popular, I think. He was the most unique guy. I could tell you stories on Tom Jones. Yeah. See, he believed he reached sinless perfection. That's what Pentecostal holiness believes. You come to that point where you don't ever sin anymore. You really believe that? (laughs) He did. I like history. And the history of the Pentecostal movement, the modern history, really doesn't go that far back. It goes back about 100 years, 1901, 1906. Topeka, Kansas, big movement there, Pentecostal, the, the West Coast, California. Anybody want to guess where their name comes from? Pentecostal, where does their name come from? That's not a trick question. It comes from our passage, Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost. So they got their name, Pentecostals. And Pentecostals teach that subsequent to salvation, that is, you're saved then and after that, you receive a second baptism with the Holy Spirit, 
And that baptism of the Holy Spirit, this further work of the Holy Spirit, is going to be evidenced by your speaking in tongues. You will speak in tongues if you receive this further baptism and work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go on and talk about the charismatic movement because that's when the Pentecostal movement jumped out of their denominations into a lot of Protestant mainline denominations. I love history. But Pentecostals wrongly interpret Acts 2. And they confuse these ideas of baptism with the Holy Spirit and filling with the Holy Spirit and the evidences of such things in tongues. And so all I'm attempting to do today is raise a red flag. They're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not doubting their salvation, but I just think they got this whole area of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in tongues. They, they're confused. And so we need to be aware of that because at different times in our life, we can be taken in by some of that teaching. I think there was a time for me when, when I was younger, uh, a hunger for the things of God. I trust I still have a hunger for the things of God, but, but I wanted all that God had for me. And you struggle in your walk with God, and when you struggle in your walk in God, it's kind of like, I want more. And somebody speaks up and says, well, would you, if you had a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like, wow, no, I didn't know such a thing existed. <laughs> yeah. So we need to be careful, don't we? We can be taken in. In fact, some of you, this may be totally new teaching. It's kind of like, I didn't know they were Pentecostals. I didn't know that that's what they were called. Well, it's taken from this passage. Brothers and sisters, most certainly, but off the mark in this very important area. Because this is a very important area, isn't it? Yeah. Very important. It has divided churches, blown a lot of churches up. It really has. Divided Christendom. It really has. All right, where are we at? Well, we're off on this tangent talking about Pentecostals, all right? No, we're, we're in Jerusalem. It's, it's Pentecost. The promised Holy Spirit has been poured out. There's all these manifestations, and, and all of a sudden, everybody starts showing up. You know, they, they, they want to know what's going on. A very exciting things happen. This, this, this violent rushing wind, that sound, these tongues of fire, the speaking in tongues. It's like, whoa. Yeah. And so notice the response in verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? From what I understand, this is kind of a slur on them. They're from the north, the uneducated, spoke with an accent. Uh, aren't they all Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? What is happening here? Isn't that what they said? What is going on here? This is unusual. Run to Starbucks, get me a latte, and I'm going to stick around and see what happens. What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. What are they saying? These guys are drunk. That's what's going on. They've imbibed in too much wine. 
They lost it. I'm asking the question of these verses, what stands out? Well, what does our writer want us to say? One thing is that there's a large crowd of devout Jews and proselytes, Gentiles who had converted to Judaism from all over the world. Luke wants us to see that. He couldn't make it more obvious. He lists some 15 locations. It's kind of like, Luke, we get the idea. Here's a map of it from all over the world. These people gathering in Jerusalem, all these different languages, paying attention. So the crowd from all over the world. And then the second thing that Luke wants us to see, and I I like the way he writes and brings this emphasis, that the people that day, when they were there, they were like this little kid. Like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? These are the terms. They were bewildered, amazed, astonished, in amazement and great perplexity. It's like, whoa, what's going on? What are they amazed at? They're amazed at the disciples of Jesus, these uneducated Galileans declaring the mighty deeds of God in different tongues and languages, the tongues and languages represented from these people from all over the world. Let's ask a further question, and maybe you're already raising it. Well, what are these tongues? That's a good question, too. What are these tongues? I'm going to give you a very good answer because all I'm going to do is pull it from our passage. So you have an understanding. Well, what were the tongues they spoke at Pentecost? Because Luke wants us to know. This is what was going on. It was a supernatural ability, Holy Spirit given. That's what he says in verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. So it's a, the ability to speak with another tongue as the Spirit was giving them utterance. All right? A supernatural ability, Holy Spirit given to declare in human languages they had not studied or learned. This is of the Spirit. Now notice how many times can Luke say it? Three times he says the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Or verse 8, and now how is that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And verse 11, we hear them in our own tongues. Absolutely amazed that these uneducated Galileans are speaking their language. And what were they doing? They were proclaiming... The mighty deeds of God. That's what they were doing. In a sense, could we say they were witnessing? Could we? I think they were. And so let's pull our passage together, and then we need to ask the the big so what question. What difference does this make for me? But pulling it all together, Pentecost is when the promised Holy Spirit is poured out on Jesus' disciples. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and there are these mighty manifestations, and they speak in tongues, declaring the mighty deeds of God, which draws the amazement of the crowd. And we're going to find after this, Peter, he's going to jump up, and he's going to preach the gospel, and he's going to help them understand these things, and he's going to tell them what to do with these things. We already looked at that. What do I do? How do I get that gift? I don't want to be left out. So so how do we apply it? God was doing a new thing. Pentecost, there's this coming of the Holy Spirit, this baptism with the Holy Spirit, this gifting with the Holy Spirit is the formation of the body of Christ. That's what's being formed. 
It's the birth of the church. Ephesians 3, Paul says this by referring to this, and he's talking about the mystery that had been made known to him because of God's grace to him. He says, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. This is something new. To be specific, well, what is it? What is it? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what's new. And this is big. You may fall asleep. All right, Jews and Gentiles in one body, the body of Christ. But, oh, did the early church ever struggle with this stuff? Oh, did they struggle with it? It's like a, it's a closed club. We don't want Gentiles in this thing. If you do, you've got to be circumcised. Right? you got to keep the law. Oh, but, but, but the Gentiles were a part of it. So they, they were struggling in the early church. What is the place of the Gentiles? And in fact, that's going to be a key part of the book of Acts as it unfolds because the gospel is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. And the question is, how does a Gentile get in? Is God letting Gentiles in? How many of us think God let Gentiles in? I don't see every hand up. Yeah. Yeah, you better be thankful. I better be thankful. He let Gentiles in. Yeah. It wasn't just a Jewish thing. So that's one huge application that we just kind of maybe yawn at. We shouldn't. Yeah. And then the second application is the gospel for the world. Our passage is all about the gospel for the world. In fact, that may be the main emphasis. It certainly is one of the main emphases. Seen in all kinds of ways. Pentecost was a feast of harvest. Uh, that's symbolic. The harvest of the nations is taking place. It's Pentecost. It was significant that this happened on Pentecost. The harvest, the broadening harvest. There were the tongues. What's significant about the tongues? Because it's people from all these different nations. Jews were here, Gentile proselytes, but it's going to go to Gentiles. And we've already seen this. Why was the Spirit given? Acts 1.8 Hopefully you're memorizing it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The whole purpose of the Spirit's coming, or the main purpose of the Spirit's coming, was empowerment for witness. And that's why I'm big on that idea. You want to talk about being filled with the Spirit, then you're going to be a witnessing person. Because the Spirit is going to stir that stuff up in us. I want to talk about Jesus. No, 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 no. No, no, I want to talk about Jesus. All right, let's wrap things up. My wife's favorite show, Diana, what is she? Uh, uh, she's looking at me like, what am I doing? Uh, Antiques Roadshow. Would you still say that's your favorite show? One of your top three. Huh? She enjoys it. It's not her top. I'm going to have to have some time with my wife, just find out what her favorite TV show is. PBS, it's the, the, the number one show on public broadcasting. Did you know that? How many of us watch uh, Antique Roadshow? <laughs> Nobody on this oh, one person put their hand. Nobody on this side. Come on. Anybody watch Antique Roadshow? Where, where do you people live? <laughs> I mean, it's good entertainment. It's hard to come by good entertainment. So you watch them pull out this stuff and say, what's it worth? And, then, and then what's fascinating about it is when they pull out something, it's kind of like, wow. Didn't see that coming. And that's the way it was with this pocket watch. Podic Philip watches are among the top most prestigious watches you can buy. 
Even their newer models go for thousands of dollars. So when this vintage model came to the roadshow a few years ago, the appraisers knew it was something special. The owner of the watch said he had it appraised a few years ago at $6,000. The appraiser at the show knew that it was a low estimate, so low, in fact, that he gave the watch an updated value of about $250,000. Make my day! Came in with my uncle, my grandpa's pocket watch, and now they're telling me what I thought was worth maybe six K is worth two hundred and fifty. But it turns out, however, that after even more research, the owner of the watch found out the grandfather had it custom made, which made it one of a kind, and it sold at Southby's, I think it was an auction, for how much? One point five million dollars. What do you do with a pie? You don't keep it in your pocket anymore, that's for sure. You're gonna lose the thing. But absolutely amazing what you think is worth 6K goes up to 250K goes up to 1.5 million. Understanding the value. That's the way it is with us with the Holy Spirit. Oh, to understand the value of the Holy Spirit. Some of us just have a cheap $6,000 tag price tag put on him. We need to learn he's worth a lot more. 250,000, 1.5. Do I hear bids? The activity of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we want to learn from our passage. That's what Acts, so much of Acts is about. That's what our friend John Stott, I started quoting from John Stott. You know, a body without the Spirit is dead, so the church without the Spirit is dead. Us without the Spirit, without the activity of the Spirit stirring us, we become complacent, cold, indifferent, buying into all the things of the world. Oh, we need an awakening. Amen? Amen. Father, we give you praise. We love your word, and we want to hear your word. We want to feast on it, not just some cliches, not just some stories. Stories are fun, but your word, to go to Acts 2, to read it, to pull it apart, oh, to digest it, and from here to to live it. Thank you for Acts 2. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Thank you that as people of faith in Jesus Christ, we've been given that gift. Help us to walk in the fullness, to be full of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Father, we cry out to you. We're really much more desperate than our prayers indicate. Father, we cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen.